Hello, this is Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's my great pleasure to introduce this podcast. In it, we'll be discussing the review paper, Global Perspective on Early Diagnosis and Intervention for Children with Developmental Delays and Disabilities, which is authored by Professor Alfred Scherzer, Mira Shagan, Shuab Kachali, and Ezra Sousa, and is in the December issue of the journal. It will be discussed by Professor Scherzer, who is Professor of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University, New York, USA, and Professor Charles Newton, Professor of Psychiatry at University of Oxford, UK, who's also written a commentary on the article. Please, can we start with you, Al, to outline the paper and its background? Well, thank you for the opportunity to review our paper. The point of the paper was to look at the world practice of developmental delays and disabilities in relation to early diagnosis and intervention. And both early diagnosis and intervention have been well shown to have a strong effect on cognitive, motor, and long-term development. Yet even in high-end countries, it is still quite incompletely practiced. In low- and middle-income countries, it is not well understood, often not practiced, nor is it even recognized by the governments, world organizations, or aid agencies that are often responsible for medical care. And this is extremely important because we have good data that there is increasing survival of children under age of five years now in low- and middle-income countries, in part because of the programs to reduce AIDS, tuberculosis, malaria, and others. And there is also increasing evidence of increasing developmental delays and disabilities in these areas, certainly in part related to the reduction in mortality in those areas. We know, for example, that there's over 200 million children in low and middle income countries who below age five have significant either intellectual deficit or other disabilities. And we also recognize that the survivors of children who have AIDS, tuberculosis, and malnutrition are more likely to have developmental delays and disabilities. So the issue is, how do we approach this kind of a problem? And we have proposed that there is need for a simple, easily administered surveillance instrument to help remind practitioners and to recognize that, in fact, some children have delays and disabilities. And even in resource-poor countries and where ongoing rehabilitation treatment is not available, there is definite evidence that even educating parents, helping them recognize problems, and even assisting in education to help in early child care can make a big difference. Of course, there's research needed in all these areas. But the point is, such instruments could help practitioners to recognize situations which they might, by either lack of training or practice, have been unaware of. We have tried, through several years of trial in Cambodia, a simple check-off instrument that seems to be useful with culturally specific milestones of development to suit this purpose. And this is now being picked up in South Africa in a booklet that is given to new parents to check with their practitioners as the child is further evaluated. So this is a proposal yet to be tested, needs a lot of research, but 
is certainly from the trials we have seen is a possible useful way of approaching alerting practitioners to the need for early recognition and referral. And this, by the way, could be equally useful in high-income countries where it's still incompletely practiced as well as low- and middle-income countries. The point is even governments, even aid agencies, even organizations such as the United Nations have yet to recognize the what is now well-established data confirming that early diagnosis and early intervention can be beneficial, useful, particularly with an emerging population that we know now exists. We have a simple kind of thought that should be practiced, we think, by all practitioners, pediatricians or others, that when a child is seen, the approach should be to think developmentally and then refer early, even when resources may not exist because there is something we can do with the caregivers. Charles, do you want to continue? Yes, I'd like to compliment you on your paper because I think it's very timely for many of the reasons that you just alluded to. The fact that neurodevelopmental disorders are not taken or not recognized by international organizations and certainly are not part of the ministries of health in terms of their guidelines in many low-income countries. And I think that one of the tremendous benefits of this paper is highlighting these issues but also highlighting the issues that the neurodevelopmental screens are done poorly, not only in low-income countries where it's almost non-existent, but also in the high-income countries where it's done poorly. I think the first question I'd like to just ask you, you've had experience now of developing a tool in Cambodia and and from the sounds of it of transferring that to South Africa. And one of the difficulties that we've often faced, certainly working in low-income countries, is whether it is possible to have a universal screening tool given the difference in culture and also the differences in the causes of neurodevelopment, impairment, and disability in the different regions of the world? I don't think it's possible to have a universal surveillance instrument, I'd prefer to call that rather than a screener, because culture is different, the problems differ, of course. So I think it has to be very much locally developed both in terms of what are the cultural norms. For example, the surveillance instrument that we initiated in Cambodia relates as best we could to the Cambodian early developmental milestones. And in fact, there is now a dissertation that is written by a Cambodian physician of milestones in Cambodia, which is a much better estimate, which will hopefully have ultimately be included in the subsequent screening device. I think similarly, wherever such an instrument is used, it would have to relate very closely to the specific cultural situation. The idea here, I think, in my view, is to not specifically look at causes of either impairment or disability, but rather to get an early idea that in that particular culture, the child is not doing developmentally what he ought to be doing for his chronological age. And then with that in mind, make a consideration about is it severe enough? And we can have many discussions about this. Is it severe enough and at a given age to consider a referral 
for further evaluation and perhaps look for the cause. And that yet, of course, remains a question that will need very serious evaluation. I agree with you. I mean, I guess one of the, the things that struck me sort of working in many different countries in Africa is that the uh, presence of some of the causes, for example, or some of the features of impairment, you know, so in some areas we find a lot of um, hearing impairment, while in other right. areas it doesn't seem to be such a big problem, even though we're testing them. It's just that where you put your emphasis on in terms of a tool in order to identify these children uh, for early referral and treatment. I guess that was the point that I was trying to make. Right. I agree with you. I think there probably does need to be a process of an adaptation, and I guess you're going through that in, the, in terms of adapting your tool to the situation in South Africa. So I think that is important. But I agree with you also, as at the moment, I don't see a universal screening tool being available. It does need to have a lot of local context involved in developing it. Uh, Professor Newton, there are other issues which are yet to be well-defined in this business, and that is how aberrant will one allow the child to be before a referral is made? I mean, if we have milestones in relation to chronological age of different months, if a child misses one or two or three milestones, or, or what is the number, in other words, that we need to consider before a referral is made. And that is something that really needs to be further studied in local cultural context. We certainly didn't have the answer to it in Cambodia in the time that we used, but that's something that really needs to be addressed because both false negatives and false positives present big trouble, as you know. And a false positive gives us a lot more work than we already have. And a false negative is probably what we have much of now with children who are treated for a non-developmental problem for which they are seen, then go away because that's never even been recognized. Mm. Absolutely. I think that sort of brings me to my second point. How do you incorporate the testing into the ongoing health surveillance? You mentioned in your paper about incorporating vaccines, and I think that is a very good suggestion because mothers often bring their children to biomedical facilities at the time of vaccine, and that seems to be well established. But often those are not the most appropriate times to do a neurodevelopmental uh, test. And I just wonder whether you had any further thought about that in terms of integrating it. Well, as you know, Professor Newton, the children are brought for care other than, let's say, vaccination, either for follow-up of newborn screening or because they're sick, rather than because they have some kind of developmental problem like motor difficulties or speech difficulties. So it's, I think, important that any kind of surveillance instrument should be very simple, easy to quickly check off, and should be incorporated into the clinical exposure at the time the child is seen. Much of my experience has been that so often children come for acute care, the physician has little experience or training in development, does not recognize anything, and then the child is discharged. I'm looking for a procedure that's probably very elementary, and one in which the practitioner is reminded, is given an opportunity to note 
whether that the child, in fact, may not be doing what he ought to for his age. And it's at that point a decision would have to be made, whether or not a referral or made or something is said to the parent, and whether the resources in the local area are consistent with doing something on a intervention in an intervention way. But I think it comes down to the fact that developmental surveillance is something that really needs to be incorporated into child care, no matter where and in what circumstances. And perhaps this is a device to simply firm that up so that if there is any difference from what is expected of the child, it can be noted. And again, uh, we have many situations in, for example, in the United States, where this is simply missed because pediatricians are not really looking at development, not thinking about development, and their problem goes on and on, as we all know, for months to years until it becomes totally obvious. So, of course, this is to a much greater extent a problem in low- and middle-income countries, but as you say, it needs to be something very simple. What we were able to do in Cambodia is a one-page, single-sheet check-off of developmental milestones by age groups up to age six. And there were boxes simply to be checked off. This something could be easily part of the record, and the information could be either from the parent or by observation from the child. In the time we used this, we certainly found that the practitioner was very willing and interested in using this, and that it could be easily incorporated into whatever the extent of the examination that was done. So it's something of a reminder of an educational tool that we think could be very much useful, whether it's in Africa or it's in New York City. And there certainly needs to be significant modifications of this. But I think it relates to an idea that practitioners need to think developmentally and refer early. And that thinking developmentally, this would be a way of helping that visually. But this has got to be something that's much more incorporated into training, into early medical or healthcare training at every level. Healthcare is not simply disease-oriented. Healthcare is not simply a concern about mortality, but it's a matter of now, especially as these children are surviving more and more, this is a matter of becoming aware of the need for working on the quality of life. And that concept, and we think this is a very small instrument as a way to get at that, but there is so little attention paid to this and so much to the statistics of mortality that we kind of forget what happens to those who survive and what do we do about them rather than simply add up the numbers that mortality has gone down. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Just in terms of the practitioners, in many uh, low-income countries, most children will not see a pediatrician. Absolutely. Um, they are unlikely to see even a medical doctor. Uh, yeah. They're more likely to see nurses. How do you think that this tool could be incorporated into surveillance by nurses? And do you think that that would be a good route to go, and what problems would you envisage? I think that would absolutely be satisfactory, and from a practical point of view, it would be essential 
because, as you said, it may even be village practitioners that don't even have the level of nurse training. But I think awareness of simple developmental milestones in very young children is not difficult to teach and, again, would certainly be subject to decisions as to which milestones are particularly important at a given chronological age. But this is certainly meant for non-medical practitioners and could, in fact, be perhaps used even better because there would be a, a little bit more of appreciation than often in the highly trained physician. I do think that it is certainly something that needs to be considered at every level. I mean, I think looking through your list um, and in your original paper, you know, that is a list that could be easily incorporated into oh, yes. nursing surveillance. Sure. Certainly in the environments that I work at. One of the difficulties that we've always had in terms of identifying neurodevelopmental disorders in low and middle income countries is uh, something which you've already alluded to, is the lack of facilities for rehabilitation. Right. And often we've been criticized in some sets when we set up studies to do this, you know, well, what's going to happen to these children thereafter, you know, in the long term, because that requires quite a lot of expertise and infrastructure. Have you thought about whether surveillance should be integrated into a health system and how those children that are identified, even with very limited resources, how they could be supported if something is found? Well, of course, that's, that's the heart of the matter, isn't it? Mm. We do know, just to backtrack a little bit, there is pretty good evidence that just parent education and support makes a, a significant difference. There are some papers uh, that show that very early parent education is very important in terms of understanding, in terms of dealing with preconceptions, and in, in terms of relationships very important, certainly, uh, from your field of psychiatry, very important relationships between the parent and child. And we certainly need to know a lot more about that. But in addition, we have some pretty good field studies that show that educating the parent about how to care for a child who, for example, may have motor delays can help to reduce some of the delays uh, we don't know, again, where it means in terms of ultimate development, and this also needs study. But these things, I think from the data we have and from the experience that many people have, educating the parent, providing support, trying to understand what their attitudes and improve relationships, and some simple home care education, even if a more significant early intervention with therapy or with use of equipment is not available, these things in themselves are a start. And I guess one could argue, well, do we have to wait till we have a whole uh, system of care, of rehabilitation care before doing anything? And we would argue from our experience and what we've seen that we should not, but in fact, do what we can now in terms of education, support, and home care education and work toward the development of a rehabilitation infrastructure, which, again, governments, aid agencies have to begin thinking about rather than simply reducing mortality. And I agree with you thoroughly. I mean, I think that's the way that we've approached it, is that we, um, although 
when we we identify children, we know that we can't offer them the best yeah. uh, rehabilitation care, but we can offer them. First of all, we can offer reassurance to the parents that what their suspicions were are correct, that there is something wrong with the child, and then right. give them advice about how to, you know, even do simple physiotherapy exercise yeah. and so forth. Exactly. And there are some very low-tech interventions that one can use, you know, for example, in children with cerebral palsy and such like, which you can roll out. So I really endorse that uh, sentiment. If I could just uh, jump in for a moment here. I have heard uh, the point made by a number of international agencies with which I've dealt that said, look, what is the point of doing any of this business when there are no services available? And I think that is the wrong approach. As you say, there are things that can be done and should be done. And to say, let's forget doing anything except reducing mortality because there's nothing else available is just adding to a problem with which sooner or later the world has got to deal. I agree. And that's something that I've often heard as well and argued yeah. against it. I think what I'd like to finish off with um, is just you've mentioned some of the international organizations that um, are supposed to look after the welfare of children, and yet they don't take neurodevelopmental disorders into consideration, and certainly they're not a priority. And certainly in working in low-income countries, uh, what we've found is that unless we can convince the uh, World Health Organization, UNICEF, and such like, um, then it doesn't feed down into the ministries of health. Um, um, And so my question is really, what can we do to be better advocates for neurodevelopmental issues in the world? And how can we get to these um, international organizations which might have a profound influence um, on the ministries of health within low-income countries? Well, of course, the publication of this paper, which we are are very appreciative of developmental medicine and, and child neurology, is, we hope, a way in which there will be some now recognition of this problem. I think that we need to approach the big players in this, all of the foundations in the international organizations, with the kind of information that we're talking about so that we begin to get some dialogue and perhaps we need to have some international conferences uh, to try to deal with this. One of the things that uh, uh, concerns me to a certain extent is, let's say, the uh, the United Nations itself. Uh, you recall the Millennium Developmental Goals, which was set in 2000 to reduce mortality under age five uh, between 1990 and 2015 by two thirds. A big goal, and they've only gotten less than 25 percent toward that as of. 2012, but interestingly, in the goal four, which is on child health, there is absolutely no recognition, no mention of the issue of early identification and intervention. There's the uh, quite important recognition of infectious disease, sanitation, nutrition, etc. And so starting from that level, we still have uh, a great deal to go. Only a few years ago, the IMCI, uh, the Integrated Management of Childhood Illness, which you know, 
in spite of the United Nations structure, they finally opened up child development as one of the goals. But that's very recent. And I think that certainly would be a very good place to start, that right from the UN, right down, um, we need to help recognize that the goals of healthcare have to be something much more than reduction of death, reduction of morbidity, and a quality of life as we're talking about it. And I think that's a, another big place to go. I know UNICEF has just recently had a conference on this, and there is plan for a, a, a large conference in 2013 to give this more, some, some more consideration. So maybe there are some beginning thoughts and some beginning, like a window opening up a bit, which is a little bit more helpful. But I would say every effort needs to be given to the United Nations itself and let it trickle down there because IMCI is an extremely important part of a basis for functioning in many low and middle income countries, as you know. And child development has to mean what we're talking about, early identification. So far, it hasn't crept in there the way we are, we think it should. And, and that would be certainly a, I think an important place to start. I also endorse that, yes, and I agree. Um, I think it needs to be put much more into the agenda of these large international organizations Absolutely. Um, and be taken much more seriously. Uh, working in Africa, we can see the problem unfolding in front of our eyes. So, uh, Absolutely. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Thank you both, Professor Schertzer and Professor Newton, very much indeed for a very important discussion on a, a major issue which clearly goes beyond medicine into politics. I hope everyone listening gets as much out of this podcast as I have. Just to remind our listeners that the article is entitled Global Perspective on Early Diagnosis and Intervention for Children with Developmental Delays and Disabilities by Professor Schertzer and colleagues, and it will be in the December issue of the journal.